Timothy's faith and heritage is what I've titled the message here. Let's ask the Lord to bless our study. Lord, again, we thank you for the privilege to uh, be together, uh, to study the Word. Thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit through the Word of Truth. Uh, Lord, we live in a a world of falsehood. How wonderful to handle truth and and to be in the truth. And so minister to our hearts tonight as we study together. Pray for all the ministries ongoing, that they'd be blessed of you and used of you for your glory. Thank you for all the workers and the the efforts that they put in. I know that you're going to bless them and reward them for it. And uh, just pray that they could serve with joy tonight. So we commit our evening to you. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well, we come to 2 Timothy. Uh, 2 Timothy is uh, Paul's last inspired letter. We often say last words are important words, and certainly they are. Uh, shortly after this, uh, a very impo- uh, major event happened in Paul's life. Namely, he was beheaded. Uh, pretty, pretty shortly after he wrote this, this letter. Uh, in terms of the outline of the book, uh, the theme, uh, note uh, loyalty, um, yeah, let's see if I can get this to work. Got it turned on, right? That's what you got to do. Uh, loyalty, a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And all the way through, uh, he is challenging Timothy uh, to be a good soldier uh, of Jesus Christ. Almost from beginning to end in this letter, that's one of the major reasons he's writing. Uh, tonight, we'll get into the greeting and then uh, charge to actively take a faithful stand. Uh, we'll kind of introduce to this uh, as it goes through verse 18. But that's where we are uh, tonight. In terms of just thinking about Paul's ministry, uh, proximate uh, timeline of his missionary career, first missionary journey, uh, 48 to 50, two years in Galatia. Second missionary journey, 50 to 52, three years, Macedonia, Achaia, Greece. Uh, Third missionary journey, 53 to 56, Uh, four years uh, in Asia. And then uh, he's processed uh, through the Roman courts. Boy, that's a long, long process. Four years, 56 to 60. And then he's under house arrest uh, for two more years. We think then he's released, and he travels on his fourth missionary journey, uh, 63 to 66. He's once again imprisoned at Rome at that point, wrote Second Timothy, and then was executed. All happening in about uh, uh, A.D. 67. So we are right at the end of his long uh, apostolic ministry here. Uh, and uh, all that he has has gone through. As I say, last words are important words. Uh, We call 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus the pastoral epistles. Uh, We might uh, mention that 2 Timothy is uh, partially pastoral, but primarily personal. It's more personal than pastoral, although it is pastoral as well, especially as in terms of counseling uh, Timothy in in that role. A very interesting historical context at this point. In 64 AD, there was uh, the great fire uh, in, in Rome. wonder what caused that fire, do you suppose? Well, Nero blamed the Christians. I mean, you know, blame the Jews, blame the Christians. The, the world's always, the devil's always out about blaming somebody, especially God's people. But uh, yeah, and so really... Uh, Nero declared the Christians to be the enemies of the state. Now, if you're living in the Roman Empire and you're declared to be an enemy of the state, that's a bad position to be in. That happened in 64, and now uh, he's under arrest again, end of 66, 67. This is where we find ourselves. That's the context here. And, of course, Nero was just vicious towards the Christians, lighting them up as candles in his his garden and, and so forth. 
tremendous atrocities there. Well, Paul was beheaded uh, shortly after that, so I say 67. When did, when did Nero die? Well, we'll give him a year after that, 68, you know. Kills Paul, 67, dies in 68. Didn't give him a lot of time, did it? Uh, no, it didn't. Uh, Paul was an old man at this point, and uh, boy, he's fought the good fight, but he's all alone. He's all alone. He's come to the end of his journey, largely abandoned by the Christian community. Isn't that a sad shame? Kind of reminds me a little bit of John the Baptist, you know, all alone there in prison. He, he too, uh, was beheaded. Uh, you know, sometimes you come to the end of your journey and you think, boy, there ought to be some people around me, but there's not. Uh, you know, it's, there's this old saying that's been around a while, be willing to walk alone. Many who started with you won't finish with you. Uh, I think that's Paul's testimony. That's Paul's testimony. He said, boy, I'm sure most all of us would be, maybe, maybe. Get in the trenches, it becomes a little different story sometimes. Certainly was with Paul. You have to realize how dangerous it was to be a Christian at this point. If it's going to cost you your life if you show up to visit Paul at prison, you might want to keep your distance a little bit and say, we will pray for you from a distance, quietly. Nobody needs to know. Uh, you know, that's the kind of thing we're talking about here. Uh, tremendous uh, compromise uh, going on. And uh, in that context, he's really encouraging Timothy uh, to uh, fight the good fight, uh, to uh, be faithful, to not be ashamed. Uh, even Timothy needs to be exhorted along those lines, as we will see as we continue on through the, through the text here. And he challenges Timothy, preach the word. I mean, he builds that climactic point. There's going to be a lot of apostasy in the last times, but Timothy, you preach the word in season, out of season. Uh, you don't let up on, on the word here. Okay, well, that's uh, enough introduction here. Let's get into the text, uh, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1. And let's have somebody read verses 1 and 2. Who wants to read that? So, yeah, Vince? Thank you. Uh, so he begins, uh, Paul. Uh, Paul used to be Saul, but now he's commonly known as Paul. After he was converted, this kind of became his, uh, his handle versus Saul. Jewish emphasis, Paul perhaps a more Gentile uh, emphasis. Uh, apostle simply means sent one. Uh, it refers to one personally chosen by Jesus Christ to be his authoritative representative. And uh, the word apostle um, is used in a technical sense, but it's also used in a general sense as a sent one. For example, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 23, it talks about those that are sent out by the churches, much like we might send out a missionary. Uh, they were the apostles of the churches, the sent ones by the churches. He's a sent one by Jesus Christ, uh, technical sense. And so uh, we note uh, a few things about apostles uh, as far as just uh, how they were special. Church was founded upon them. Uh, they were eyewitnesses of the risen Lord. They were personally chosen, appointed by Christ. Uh, you didn't wake up one morning and say, I, I have decided I'm going to be an apostle, like the modern-day apostates who call themselves apostles. Uh, whatever, heretics for sure. Um, number four, they were authenticated by unique miracles. The, Paul talks about the miracles of an apostle were done among uh, the Corinthians. They spoke for Christ with absolute authority. Uh, all New Testament truth was communicated through them. 
And the 12 have an eternal place of special honor. So, you know, to be an apostle, really, all of these really applied to, to those who are an apostle. So for Paul to say uh, an apostle of Jesus Christ was no small thing. I mean, this is the highest uh, role in the church of Jesus Christ and had a unique role in terms of representing Jesus with, with a special authority. Uh, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Of course, Jesus means Savior, uh, really more literally God Savior, uh, relates to the, the, in, the <laughs> Greek translation of the Hebrew Joshua. Uh, Yahweh is salvation, is what it literally means, uh, the idea that, uh, of God's Savior. Jesus, uh, Christ, Christ literally means anointed one, the special chosen one, uh, you know, fulfilling all the Old Testament prophecies. Uh, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. He was not self-appointed. I mean, he didn't wake up one morning and say, you know, I'm going to do this. Uh, it's my choice. Uh, no, it's not human choice. Uh, no self-appointment. God sovereignly put him in this position of apostle. And then notice his ministry as an apostle was according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. I mean, the whole purpose of him being sent out as an apostle was to propagate the gospel of life, the good news of life through Jesus Christ. Uh, that's that's his, his purpose. In Acts 20, he talks about none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so I may finish my race with joy. And the ministry which I receive from the, from the Lord Jesus, to what? To testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Uh, this all has to do with what he terms here as the promise of life. Uh, here again in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verses 10 and 11, we'll get there. Uh, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Brought life. And, and his whole purpose as the sent one was to propagate this message of life that is found in Jesus Christ. And then again, he says, which is uh, in Christ Jesus. This, this life is found only in Jesus Christ, who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then he says, uh, he introduced himself, this is from Paul, and, and uh, what he says there as far as the, his opening statement, introducing himself in conjunction with uh, uh, Jesus Christ. And then he says, to Timothy, a beloved son, literally beloved child. Um, he often spoke this way of, of Timothy as, as a son. Uh, it's speculated, we don't know for sure, was he a convert of Paul? Perhaps, uh, Maybe he was just so close, he was like a son, and so he spoke of him in this language. Uh, that's a possibility. Uh, to Timothy, a beloved son. And then he says, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Notice this is not merely a, a wish that uh, Timothy would experience grace, mercy, and peace. It's not, really a, it's not merely a prayer that he would uh, experience these things. This is a really a greeting and not just from Paul, it's from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's like he's saying, Timothy, I have a special message. I have a special greeting from God the Father in Jesus. And here's what it is. Grace, mercy, and peace. Uh, that's a wonderful introduction uh, to receive a message like that from God the Father and from Jesus Christ our Lord. Uh, grace is the idea of unmerited favor. Now, this is God's message, a message of grace to us. Uh, mercy, the idea of compassion, uh, compassion for the hurting, even though they don't deserve it. Uh, it's that idea of concern and compassion, mercy. Uh, and then peace, the idea of well-being, 
All of these things relate to our, our spiritual lives, grace, mercy, and peace. And then from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Someone has said uh, grace is needed for every service, mercy for every failure, and peace for every circumstance. Someone else has said grace to the worthless, mercy to the helpless, and peace to the restless. All that we need is found in God. God is communicating to us that it's all it's found in Him. Right now, it's available, and, and it's found in Him. What a beautiful greeting and reminder this is. And notice the word and there, uh, from God the Father and uh, Christ Jesus our Lord, putting them on the, on the same level as this greeting is coming from, from both of them. These spiritual realities uh, come from both of them uh, equally. Uh, Jesus Christ our Lord, of course, Lord means master, uh, sovereign authority, uh, the idea of God master. Okay, any thoughts there as we get, yes. Sure, and, and especially in relationship to the grace, mercy, and peace, the, the greeting that's being communicated here. I mean, certainly relates to the whole letter, but it's specifically grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Jesus Christ. So, yeah. All right, anything else? Okay, let's go to uh, verses 3 and 4. Who wants to read 3 and 4? Yeah, Jeff? Okay, thank you. So uh, after speaking to Timothy in terms of the, what God's communicating, uh, grace, mercy, and peace, immediately then he says, I thank God. Uh, he is thankful. It's in the present tense. Again, he's just mentioned grace, mercy, and peace, and I think that kind of uh, builds into his uh, thankful spirit here. Remember, he's on death row, and yet he's very thankful. You can say, it's miserable. I can't find a thing to be thankful about. Yeah, I can Grace, mercy, and peace uh, from God and from God the Father and from Jesus. It's always something to be thankful for in terms of our spiritual blessings that we have in, in Christ. And then he says, I thank God whom I serve. This word serves a special word related to religious service, used consistently in relationship to religious service, like a priest would serve God. Uh, somebody that's committed to serving God in, uh, you know, in, a, in that way. And uh, so doing the Lord's work in, in that sense. I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience. Six times he uses the word conscience in, in the pastoral epistles. Uh, you know, conscience is that, um, that idea of, uh, it's a self-judging mechanism within us. Uh, you, have, you can have a clear conscience. You can have a guilty conscience. Uh, we, all have a, we all have a conscience. You can, you can be ignorant uh, in terms of your conscience. You can be well-informed. All of these things uh, enter in. Uh, let's see here. People can have a weak conscience, a wounded conscience, or a defiled conscience. An abused conscience can become seared or scarred to where it no longer is sensitive. It, it's uh, hardened to where it no longer works properly. Uh, Paul consistently served with a pure conscience. That, in essence, is the, the spirit-filled life. 
As a way of life, uh, we should live with a clear conscience. And I think that's what Paul is saying. As a way of life, he lives this way. Paul is saying he did not live a double life. Uh, he, he's, he's, he's serving, and how is he serving? With, with a pure conscience, as a way of life. You know, certainly, I'm sure Paul, like all of us, sin gets in there, but what do you do? Well, you confess and, and you get back on track. As a way of life, uh, this, is, this is what he is doing. And he emphasizes this different places, Acts twenty four sixteen. This being so, I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense toward God and men. Uh, now, it's not like he was 100% successful, but he's striving for this, uh, to live with a good conscience without offense toward, toward God and men. He wants to be right with God and, and everybody else. Uh, as he's striving for this as, as a way of life. He says, uh, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did. Uh, you know, there were godly forerunners before him. You say, it all started with me. <laughs> no, no. Uh, as my forefathers did. Uh, you know, we run our lap and we pass the baton on uh, to, the next, to the next generation. And uh, Paul was uh, cognizant of this. It's good uh, to note that no Christian is an island within themselves. All of us stand on the shoulders of those who have gone before us. Uh, we build on what has preceded us. Thus, the work of God in that sense is progressive down through the ages. We don't reinvent the wheel each generation. Rather, we build on those who have gone before us. And it's kind of interesting how Paul uh, says this. Uh, he's serving with the pure, as, as my forefathers did. And say, all oh, these people went before are wicked. No, there's always a remnant. God always has a godly remnant. He always has. Uh, Jesus spoke of this in John 4, 38. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. Boy, that's true. We have entered into their labors. I think about all that went before, even as far as this, this church here, building, a lot of work, a lot of things. This, you know, going back, planted Southview on the south end. Brought the south end over to this end. But, <laughs> but you know, we build on, on, the, on the backs of those who have gone before us. Uh, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did. As without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers night and day. Without ceasing is constantly. That's the idea. Uh, you know, Paul said to pray without ceasing in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. It seems he practiced uh, what he preached. Uh, he, he said to pray without ceasing. And he's now doing this in relationship uh, to Timothy. Uh, he says, I remember you in my prayers night and day. What, what an encouragement this must have been to Timothy. Paul is praying for me constantly, night and day, uh, without ceasing. And, of course, prayer is always about, well, it's about a lot of things, but certainly about dependence upon God. Uh, we need God's help. And we need it all the time. Uh, you say, well, do you need prayer? Yes, I need prayer. Do you need prayer? Yes, you need prayer. We all need prayer. Night and day, without ceasing, all the time. Uh, if somebody's praying for me night and day, boy, you, you love that person. Uh, what a great encouragement. And then he says uh, here in verse uh, 4, Greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy. Here uh, he is. He's an old man. He's in prison. Been through many, many, many battles in life. And, uh, you know, I think he's longing for some Christian fellowship some support, some encouragement. So we get into it and say, all in Asia have forsaken me. My first defense, nobody stood with me. I'm kind of all alone here. I think he's longing to see, you know, 
a fellow uh, faithful laborer like, like Timothy. And uh, it, it's a challenging time. I quoted these verses a little bit, but note uh, as we get on in the chapter, this you know, that all those in Asia have turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. All in Asia. Wow. Uh, <laughs> nobody? Second uh, Timothy 4.16, at my first defense, no one stood with me. All forsook me. May it not be charged against them. Boy, no, nobody's willing to take a stand and vouch for him here. Absolutely nobody. At the end of your life? <laughs> career like Paul's? It's kind of encouraged me a little bit sometimes, honestly. <laughs> praise the Lord uh, that the Lord stood with him, as he goes on to say. And praise the Lord, God is faithful. He's always faithful, even when people aren't. But uh, this was his context, greatly desiring to see you. Uh, you know, I think uh, it really becomes precious when you're in the trenches and you're all by yourself and there's somebody comes alongside. Uh, that, that is so precious, greatly desiring to see you. Being mindful of your tears, probably when they parted ways. Uh, that's, my, you know, we have to leave each other. Probably the tears he's remembering uh, when they had to part. But then he says that I may be filled with joy. You know, parting relates to tears. I think this often in relationship to death. Uh, joy relates to reunion uh, with God's people. And uh, he's looking forward to a, a time of uh, reunion with Timothy uh, that will bring uh, great joy, even as the parting brought tears. All right. Any other thoughts there? Yeah. Sure. 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 You know, I, I think he had a general attitude of thanksgiving. Certainly what you're saying, I think, is, is true. I mean, he says, give thanks for all men, you know, in, in, in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Uh, but uh, here it's pretty general when he starts out here, verse 3. I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience without ceasing. I remember you in my prayers tonight. Certainly I think it's included in there. But uh, it's, it's kind of just a general thankful attitude here too. Right. 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 Yeah, it's general. Uh, I think he's talking about the Jewish forefathers. You know, I don't think he's talking about his dad and his grandfather necessarily. We know nothing about them whatsoever. I think he's talking generally about the, the Jewish forefathers who have gone before him. I, everything I read in, my, in the commentaries, I mean, nobody thought else, something else. 
So I think, I think it's a general statement, you know, uh, as my forefathers did. Obviously, he's talking about those who served with a pure conscience. That's why I talk about a godly remnant. I mean, you've got a lot of ungodly forefathers, too, <laughs> Jewish. But he's talking about those who served with a, a clear conscience. So I think it's a, general, it's a general statement. There's always been a godly remnant, and he's continuing on uh, with that legacy of a godly remnant. All right, good questions. Anything else? All right, let's have somebody read 5 and 6. Who wants to read that for us? Yeah, Albert. Well, why don't you read verse 7 while you're at it? There you go. Thank you. Okay. So, uh, yes, uh, he is uh, thankful and he is praying and he's desiring to see uh, Timothy. Uh, and then he says, uh, all of this uh, with the backdrop, when, when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you. Uh, interestingly, he qualifies a genuine faith. There is such a thing as a bogus faith uh, that doesn't uh, continue. Uh, that is, uh, the idea of genuine is that which is uh, unhypocritical. It's, it's sincere. Uh, it's true. Uh, he's not a pretender. He's, he's the real deal. In, in 1 Timothy 1.2, he says of Timothy, a true son in the faith. So you kind of got the, the uh, parallel here as far as uh, uh, when I call to remember the genuine faith that is in you. And so he's persuaded that Timothy's the real deal. And then he says, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. Evidently, they were saved before Timothy. You know, we don't know the, the, the detailed history here. But uh, perhaps they were saved on the first missionary journey. Uh, we know that they taught Timothy from when he was a boy. Uh, we know that from childhood, Timothy had been taught the scriptures, as seen in 3.15. Evidently, Timothy's grandmother and mother were Old Testament believers. And when the gospel of Christ was brought to them, they were immediately receptive, and their faith matured from an Old Testament faith to a New Testament saving faith. Uh, thus, their faith proved to be genuine. Again, we're not given details, but you know, when Timothy would have been a little boy, it would have been long before Paul was on the scene. Uh, so they were evidently Old Testament believers, and they were schooling Timothy in terms of the scriptures and so forth, uh, even when he was a, a, a little boy. But uh, he says, uh, what, whatever the details, uh, which dwelt first, this genuine faith dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and, and uh, your mother Eunice. Uh, of course, my mom was named Eunice, and so I've always thought about this name. But uh, you know what's interesting? He doesn't mention his father. How come? probably not a believer. Uh, we know his uh, mother was Jewish. His father was Greek, as we find in Acts 16. We find his father probably, because of his background, did not want his son to be circumcised. He was not circumcised, and Paul had him circumcised after he got saved or you know, after he joined Paul's team, uh, so it wouldn't be a, a hindrance to the ministry, although, you know, it, neither here nor there, whether you're circumcised or not circumcised, Paul makes that very clear at various places. But, uh, yeah, all that, all that background. It's kind of interesting. Uh, the father is not e even mentioned. It's almost like unbelievers are, are not relevant. 
uh, when it's all said and done. They don't fit into the, into the big picture here. Um, as far as Timothy's background, uh, Warren Wearsby, Timothy's mother and grandmother had seen to it that he was taught the scriptures. And this was great preparation for hearing the gospel. Indeed, it was. I think it was great preparation for all of them to hear the gospel. Lois and Eunice, as well as Timothy. Um, Liberty Bible, how fulfilling to any woman to influence the world so mightily through her children. Uh, I mean, these women are, are singled out for building into Timothy the word of God uh, from when he was a boy. And uh, what, what a tremendous example that is. Uh, so notice uh, he goes on to say here in verse 6, Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Uh, now, this is kind of an interesting verse because we don't normally have spiritual gifts imparted to people through the laying on of hands. I mean, that's not the norm in the New Testament at all. Uh, it seems this was a unique situation uh, in, in some respects with, with Timothy. Uh, the idea of stir up means to uh, rekindle the fire. Uh, that's the idea, to, to fan the flame. Uh, be proactive in terms of this gift that you have received. Uh, the, the gift of God, literally the grace of God, the, the grace gift of God. Um, so, uh, a couple of things here. God gives uh, spiritual gifts, but there is human responsibility in the maintenance and exercise of them, right? You stir it up and say, well, if God wants him stirred up, it'll be stirred up. Yeah, God wants it stirred up, and Timothy, you need to stir it up. There's some human responsibility. God expects us to be proactive in the use of our gifts. As Peter says, we are to use our spiritual gifts as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And I see uh, Paul exhorting Timothy in that regard here. to Stir up this gift. It's a gift. You've been given it, but you are responsible to, to use it. And uh, that emphasis comes through. Uh, it is, uh, this is Edmund Hebert, it's unwarranted inference to conclude from these words that Timothy has allowed his spiritual flame to die down. Now, such a view is inconsistent with Paul's statement in verse 5. It also overlooks the force of the present tense of the infinitive, which means rather that Timothy is to keep the flame blazing a white heat as he has been doing. Uh, keep doing it, present tense. Uh, keep it stirred up. Uh, that idea doesn't necessarily imply that he had not been faithful. Uh, so, but he reminds him. You know, we need to be reminded uh, to keep on keeping on. And so that's what he's doing here. Uh, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Uh, most uh, commentators think this is perhaps a unique gifting in relationship to his pastoral calling in this context. Uh, it's it's, it's kind of unique, as I say. But uh, he mentions this also in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 4, verse 14. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy. <laughs> they all knew what it was because uh, they lived in the days of prophecy when it was still happening. Thus saith the Lord, a uh, gift of prophecy. God would say something through somebody. And uh, so it was clear uh, with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. So this uh, was a clear... Uh, experience in his life, and, and they all knew very well all the details, even if we have some questions. But um, note uh, positive and negative. Uh, Paul states it negatively in 1 Timothy 4.14, uh, do not neglect the gift. Positively in 2 Timothy 1.6, stir up the gift. So don't neglect it, stir it up, 
We are, we are not here told specifically what this gift of God was. But most hold that it was a special ability for Christian service related to his leadership role. That certainly fits the context and emphasis of the book of both 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. Uh, the gift here was not an ordinary gift of God's grace such as every Christian receives, but rather was a special grace gift given, by Timoth- uh, given to Timothy to equip him for specialized, ser- uh, specialized ministry. That generally is uh, what, uh, you know, the consensus is. Uh, I do think there is a special calling related to the uh, uh, pastor-teacher ministry. Alexander Strzok, Ephesians 4.11, refers to spirit-gifted shepherds. He gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Uh, Here Paul is speaking of spirit-gifted persons, not the office of uh, overseer elder. The eldership is a shepherding body, but some elders, not all, are spirit-gifted shepherds. I agree with that. Alexander Strzok is not alone in this. But uh, I think we have something of that nature here, where there's a special giftedness uh, through the laying on of my hands, as he says here. And then he says, uh, to finish out uh, the uh, study tonight, verse 7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Uh, We need strengthening. We need encouragement, especially when we're going through really tough times. And that's a context here. And uh, it's interesting. He says this, and he goes on to say in verse 8, we won't get there tonight, but verse 8, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. There was real pressure to be ashamed. And he says, this is not of God. God hasn't given us uh, a spirit of fear. Uh, there's two kinds of fear. There's a reverential fear, and then there's a cowardice fear. Uh, Cowardly fear is the idea here. God hasn't given us a cowardly fear. Uh, This uh, kind of fear would be the idea of fleeing from battle. Uh, No, we're in a spiritual war. God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. Uh, The opposite of this kind of fear here is godly boldness, and that's to be our focus. A godly boldness. Uh, We are not to let emotions control us. Uh, We are to be controlled by conviction. God has not given us a spirit of fear, cowardly fear. The cowers and is ashamed of the Lord, ashamed of of his servant. No, that's not of God, but rather of power. Uh, We find that the Holy Spirit is given to empower us to be his witnesses. But a power... Uh, Power to be a bold witness and not ashamed. And of love. Uh, Love is the word agape. Seeks the other person's highest good. It's not just about uh, self-preservation. It's about the concern uh, of others. Uh, But of power and of love and of a sound mind. Uh, Sound mind is is, uh, the idea of that which is uh, thoughtful, controlled by self-discipline. Uh, sound mind, uh, you know, balanced thinking that thinks through the grid of Scripture and, and functions according to truth and not just emotions. So I think the idea here is a stable and, and biblically balanced and not just being led by your emotions. No, uh, sound mind. And, and there is tremendous pressure in the context here. And we need to depend on God for this. Uh, you know, God gives us these things, power, love, and of a sound mind, But we do have to operate in faith. 
And we need prayer. I think he says, I'm praying for you night and day, uh, as he said in verse 3. We all need that, that strengthening that comes from the Lord. We, we need encouragement. We need all kinds of things. And Timothy, I think uh, he, he knew challenges, all right. First Corinthians, if Timothy comes, see that uh, he may be with you without fear. Uh, for he does the work of the Lord as I also do. Therefore, let no one despise him. Send him on his journey in peace that he may come to me. For I'm waiting uh, for him with the brother. Isn't that interesting, though? He says, see that he may be with you without fear. I think Timothy could maybe be a little intimidated sometimes. And Paul's serving there like a dad strengthening his son here in the battle. And finally, uh, faithful service uh, is not for the faint of heart. And God calls us to be strong in him. And uh, Paul is writing this letter as much as anything to strengthen Timothy. Uh, to this end, Paul lovingly encouraged Timothy. He prayed for him. He exhorted and challenged him as a father does uh, to a son. Uh, people need just the right balance of challenge and encouragement. In this, Paul was a great example as he sought to strengthen his son Timothy in the faith and in the work of ministry. And I might add, all the while, uh, while he himself is under threat of death. And, uh, you know, the death sentence hanging over him. And yet he is totally encouraging Timothy uh, to be faithful, to be strong, and to not compromise. All right. Uh, okay. Any other thoughts as we wrap up here tonight? Yes, Joy? Well, I think so. I don't know if based on verse 6, I would say that necessarily. Uh, you know, you have, um, you have a, a certain gifting uh, that is being remembered, that he's reminding him of uh, in relationship to the laying on of his hands. And, and, and you know, that's kind of a New Testament, a New Testament concept. Uh, but as far as, you know, taking the baton from somebody, yeah, you do see that, Moses and, and Joshua and, and so forth. There's other examples as far as uh, the emphasis right here at this verse, I think the emphasis is on his, his giftedness. Uh, a special calling, if you will, uh, that he has received. And it's been in relationship to prophecy. It's been in relationship to the laying on of hands. Like I say, it was very evident to them exactly all that was in view there. But, um, yeah, I wouldn't see that an exact equivalent to Old Testament. But, yeah, as far as the baton idea, yeah. Yeah, I mean, just generally. Uh, somebody else had a hand up? Yeah. Albert? Okay. Sure. Absolutely. <laughs> yep. What's that? Yeah. And, and when, when the true faith dwells within us, mm -hmm. it has to show up somewhere in our lives. Mm -hmm. And it has to be to where we can, other people can see that we have that genuine faith. Yeah, why else would they be persuaded, right?
Right? Amen. I agree. Amen. Yeah. 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 Yes. Well, amen, brother. That's a great statement. Amen to that. That's exactly true. That's why we assemble. It's a key reason to stir each other up and encourage one another to love and good works. Yeah, amen. That's great. All right. Anyone else? Anything else? Okay. If not, let's go ahead and share some prayer items. Anybody need a prayer sheet? Okay. Anybody else need a prayer sheet? Thank you, Andrew, for helping me out tonight.